Hey, how are you doing this Wednesday? Are you well? It's beautiful. Another beautiful day here in the northwest of the UK. I'm Richie Allen, your host. I'll be looking after you, taking care of you for the next couple of hours. Sit back, strap yourselves in and all of that old cliched nonsense. Really good to be with you. Get in touch with me via the app, via the website, please. Uncensored. Unfiltered. You're listening to Richie Allen on the world's most popular independent news radio show. It's the Richie Allen Show. Broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen. Ah, uh, yeah, live from Salford. Yeah, it is. It has been lovely again today. Beautiful. It's lovely this week. It really feels like spring, late spring, so it is. And isn't it nice that it coincides with half term? So the youngsters are out and about enjoying a bit of the old sun while they're off. That is lovely. I'm going to be talking about quite a lot of things, many things in the next uh, 35, 40, 45 minutes, maybe even an hour. And then a little bit later on, I'm going to turn it over to you. I'm in the mood for that this week, like yesterday. So we'll do that later on. We'll have a chat to you and I. I'll give you all of the details later on. Before that, though, we'll just chat about some of the bigger stories, the more interesting stories today. Hey, come here and I tell you, are you following this at all? Uh, this NASA meeting today. Have you seen this NASA are meeting to talk about uh, UFOs or unidentified aerial phenomena? They're having a meeting. I don't know if you're following that. We might talk about it a little bit later on because I'd love to hear about your close encounters. You know, I've never done that on the Richie Allen Show. Isn't that interesting? When I did the Spain show or the show in Spain, speak with... Uh, Speak, speak properly, Richie. Yes, when I presented radio in Spain, the evening show, which was an amazing show, not because I presented it or anything like that. The listeners made it amazing. Again, uh, not patronising in the least bit, I'm not. But I would throw stuff out like that to the expat people in Spain and say things like, did you ever have a close encounter at all at all? Did you ever see anything at all at all that, that you thought was, wow, you know, so we might do that later on because as the BBC is reporting today and Sky News is reporting today, NASA is meeting to talk about, um, let me just tell you, just briefly, why not? Why not kick off with this? doesn't matter. It's holding its first public meeting on its study of UFOs before a report on its findings is released. Now, I can hear you screaming. Stop screaming. I know NASA is about as trustworthy as Jimmy Savile. Now, that's unfair, isn't it? That's unfair. You would trust NASA to tell you the truth about aliens and UFO as much as you trust Jimmy Savile to look after your great-great-great-grandson or your great-grandchild. Obviously not. Um, so NASA is having this meeting. It will publish a report. It was set up last year, the panel, to look at data on unidentified anomalous phenomena. So I made an absolute balls of that, didn't I? I said unidentified aerial phenomena. I was wrong. Unidentified anomalous phenomena, which is defined by NASA as observations of events in the sky that cannot be identified as aircraft or known natural phenomena from a scientific perspective. They're having this press conference this morning. They're talking about aliens. Now, aliens have not been discussed so far 
but on its website, NASA goes to great pains to tell the public it has found no evidence of alien life, but it is one of its key priorities to search for life elsewhere in the universe. So NASA is holding this thing today. We might talk about it later on. We might not. It depends on how you feel. It's all about you. Now, Kathleen Stock, the philosopher, formerly of Sussex University, who got ran out of that university because of her opinions on gender identity. She did manage to address the Oxford Union last night. Isn't that wonderful? And amazingly, the activists who said that allowing her to speak was tantamount to trans murder and erasing trans people. They did say this, by the way. They said this is trans murder and erasing trans people. Would you believe they're all still alive today? They have all their fingers and toes. They're fully intact. Life goes on. You see, a woman spoke and said she doesn't believe that women can have a penis or that a person can change their biological sex in the same way they change their underpants. So she said all of this and she went home. She said a bit more than that. She spoke for about 90 minutes, apparently. She went home. Trans activists, you are okay. You survived. It didn't do you any harm at all, at all, at all. One more on glued itself, because I don't know whether it's a boy, a girl, a man or a woman. Themselves, you're supposed to say, but that's just rubbish. One more on glued itself to the floor and was promptly removed by the old bill. Now, I say promptly, dear listener. <laughs> I say promptly, advisedly. I think it took them 24 minutes using the solvent using the anti-glue solvent to get the little snowflake up and out of the auditorium. Now, Nick Thomas Simmons spoke to uh, Julia Hartley Brewer this morning. I think he's Labour's Shadow International Trade Secretary. And he came a cropper. You know that question that is vexing politicians <laughs> in the UK and in Ireland? You know the question about the women and the penis? Do you remember Ed Davey, the leader of the Liberal Democrat Party? Do you remember him falling foul of this question lately? So a woman can have a penis? Well, quite clearly. Right. So a woman can have a penis? Well, quite clearly. And Keir Starmer reckons nearly all women don't have a penis. That's the leader of the Labour Party. Nearly all women. But not all women. Nearly all women don't have a penis. So speaking about Kathleen Stock's appearance at Oxford Union last night at the Debating Society, Julia Hartley Brewer invited, her producer did, Nick Thomas Simmons, or Simons, Nick Thomas Simmons, the Shadow International Trade Secretary, and they talked about this and Asher, it's always great gas, so it is altogether. The views that she holds, we are told, are transphobic because she believes that men can't become women, women can't become men, and that women don't have penises. Um, are her views transphobic or do you agree with her? Go on, Nick. I don't think using that that term transphobic is is helpful, and I I don't think it should be the case. Is she right though? The Kathleen. Well, look, I I don't agree with uh, <laughs> Kathleen Stock, for example, on her views on conversion therapy. I I think it should be banned. I know she doesn't take that view, but I do think she should have the right in peace to uh, express those views at the Oxford Union if the officers of the Oxford Union wish to invite her, which they did. Now, of course. People can peacefully protest too, but she certainly shouldn't be uh, intimidated and she should be able to uh, express those views. And I hope we can all have this uh, debate in a more respectful way. Is she correct, though, that men can't become (laughs) women and women can't become men and women don't have penises? Is she correct? Do you agree with her or do you agree with your party leader, Keir Starmer? 
Well, I don't agree that Kathleen Stock is right when she says that you should only toast your bread on one side. I don't believe that Kathleen Stock is correct when she says that it's okay to dunk a cream egg into a cup of tea. Just answer the fucking question, Nick. The one I asked you. Is she right when she says that women cannot have a penis? That there is no such thing on God's earth as a sheenus? Sheenus. Let, let, let me just explain why, why I, I disagree. Because I think... You disagree. That, look, Men, disagree with what? Men, so women can have penises. I just want to clarify. Well, hang on. Let, let me just explain. <laughs> explain. Uh, the, for the vast uh, number of people, of course, it is, it is biology, right? It is biology. But not the others. We have, gender, we have today the Gender Recognition Act that does allow uh, people who are born with, well, of course, with the biology they're born with, to go through a legal process mm-hmm. to have a different gender. That, that process is there today for people to make... But they don't that. actually change their sex. So they but, don't, you don't... But, but if you, problem, if you could go through that process, Nick, but you wouldn't become a woman, would you? Right, does he answer that? You don't become a woman. Like, so you go through it all, you sign the papers, you cross the T's, you dot the I's, you wink at the registrar or the notary, the notary. You wink at the notary because that knowing wink, like, you know that I'm not really a woman, don't you? But from now on in, I will be legally considered to be a woman. But we both know that I'm not a woman, that conspiratorial wink, right? So you sign all that shit, but you're not really a woman, are you, Nick? No, no, but but you see... You still be a man... No, but the Gender Recognition Act does allow You could be legally, re- I think, incorrect. I love how shrill Julia becomes as these interviews progress. They're wonderful, aren't they? Jeremy Paxman must be thinking, I wish I was still back in the game because I'd have some fun with these idiots. Correctly, but legally recognised as a woman. But you wouldn't actually be a woman. Do you accept that, yes or no? The legal, the legal change is in our law now. And the, But let me just say... Why, no, but just, why don't you answer my question? Well, because I, I'm... Answering, by the way, by the way, you're... Pre- Julia sounds like a Monty Python character, doesn't she? press office is going to be furious with me, but, but you know, I'm allowed to ask these questions. Yeah, Julie, Would you become I'm a woman? Happy, I'm always happy to come on and have this. And have this Would you become a woman? The point about uh, the yes point or no? It's a really easy question. If you if you signed up and said I've got gender dysphoria, I want to live as a trans woman, would you after signing the gender you know, all the going through all the processes that are legally in place right now, would you at that point become a an actual woman? Yes or no, Nicholas? If if you go the today. <laughs> His position is that if you go through the process, it's gender <laughs> recognition act. You do legally. If you are a biological man, you can go. You are legally pro- treated woman. as if you are a however, woman. However, would you actually is, become a woman? Is my question. You would, you would become a woman under that process. But let me just say, you, about, would, you would become a woman. He said, become a woman. Important that process lacks dignity. And I've spoken just to people within the trans community. Oh, I'm sure you have. Anyway, we'll get the last bit of this. It is funny. Wiz Streeting, your Shadow Health Secretary, very sensibly says, you know, men have penises, women have vaginas, simple as that. Uh, you agree with Keir Starmer, though. You believe that men can become women, women can become men, and it is possible for women to have penises, although, as you say, not the majority of them. Is that right? Is that a fair categorization of your views? Men have penises, women have vaginas. And do any women have penises? Final question. <laughs> Well, when I, I, I met someone from the trans community recently, I didn't, frankly, ask them that question. No, you can answer the question. I met someone from the trans community recently, and frankly, I didn't ask them that question. Hey, listen, um, are you a woman? Do you have a penis? There is a tiny proportion 
of people. They're very discriminated against. They're disproportionately they? victims of hate crime. Are they? And yes, look Are at the they? hate crime. Look at the hate crime statistics. Are they? They do, I'm afraid. Hate crime statistics include things like accusations of misgendering on the internet, where somebody might get into an argument with a trans person and say to them, look, we all know you're not a woman. These are recorded as hate crimes when they are reported. There is no evidence that trans people are any more likely to be victims of crime than anybody else. I don't make this up, by the way. This is a fact. Uh, I'm very high on them. And, and so we'd all want finish to the sentence. That. Let me finish the sentence. On, on the issue of the Gender Recognition Act, there's that not- legal process now to make that change. We need to make that more dignified, but we also need to protect safe spaces as well and try to get to How do you do both? If you think that some women have penises. Yeah, good question that. They don't say penis, they say sheenus. You hear these terms these goons use. Sheenus. Sheenus and sheacock. We can't allow it, so we can't. We need to carry one of those dainty ladies leather gloves in our pockets or our handbags. Just one, as I've said before, when someone says sheenus, just take out the glove and belt them across the face, you know. Amazing. Hey, listen, back to Kathleen Stock briefly. We won't spend too much time on this because we've done this to death, I reckon. Um, you denied my existence is, is all the rage with some of these trans people. You, you're denying my existence, which is a straw man argument because nobody is denying anybody's existence. Quite clearly, the person standing in front of you does exist. They exist, you know, they are there in human form, right? So you haven't denied their existence. It's just that you don't believe they are, in fact, a woman. So back to stock then. Times Radio did a good job yesterday of speaking to some of her opponents outside the debating hall. People who, some of whom would have preferred her to be banned. Listen to what some of them say. Very telling, very telling. If we were to debate black people's existence, if we were to debate Jewish people's existence, there would be outrage, but it's perfectly acceptable to debate trans existence. In my view... We'll come back to that. ...view Kathleen Stock has put herself forward as someone who's claiming to have been cancelled and silenced, but the very fact that she's recently published a book uh, is evidence that she hasn't been silenced at all. She was ran out of her university, dipstick. Uh, And indeed, we're here not to try and silence and cancel, but to promote uh, and celebrate trans joy and trans voices. We're here to promote and celebrate trans joy and trans voices. So, in my view, more free speech, not less, but we need to diversify the voices that we're hearing. Diversify the voices. Uh, And I just think that at the moment, there's just one or two very loud voices that are getting disproportionate amount of attention. Uh, And we need to hear from more people like those behind me about their lived experiences. Uh, People talking for themselves rather than talking about others. Yeah, let's hear the first guy again. I published on Twitter and on Facebook a photograph of this bloke. It's a bloke in a dress, listen. This isn't really about freedom of speech. This is about debating somebody's existence, debating somebody's right to go to the toilet. If we were to debate black people's existence, if we were to debate Jewish people's existence, There would be outrage, but it's perfectly acceptable to debate trans existence. Now, this existence thing is bollocks. I've got to say that again. We know the chap exists. We just won't agree that he's a woman. And that basically fucking kills him and some other trans people. It kills them and they won't stand for it. You see, what they want to do is introduce thought policing. 
That's where this is ultimately meant to go. They want it to be a hate crime. Not that we would say they are not women, but that we would believe it. Trust me, that's where this goes. Thought crime. Not so much that I don't think you are a woman, but the very thought must be erased from society. That's what they're trying to do here. And I told you some years ago about declarations. And it was fun at the time. It was good fun. This predated COVID. We talked about declarations. It's a theory of mine and you laughed at me. Quite rightly, you should laugh at me and take everything you hear on this programme with a very large dose or pinch of salt, right? You laughed. I said a time would come when you wouldn't be permitted to ignore fucking idiots like him, excuse my French, right? That you would be compelled to engage and pick a side. Most of us don't want to engage. Most of us are not interested in sides. We just don't care. Bloke thinks he's a woman, wants to live as a woman. Happy days, mate. You know, fill your boots. Look after yourself. God love you, you know. There but for the grace of God go I. Could have been me. Thankfully it's not me. I'm quite happy in my own skin. That's how it used to be. But it's happening now. This compelling people to engage in it. Companies all over the country. Again, I'm not going to spend too much time on it because we've talked about it many times. Companies encouraging staff to wear rainbow-coloured clothes in solidarity to demonstrate that you are an ally of the LGBT community, which is mythical. Gay people are just like straight people. They come in all shapes and sizes. My mate Andy, who I might be meeting this weekend, actually. I might be having a a dalliance, a liaison with my gay friend uh, this Sunday. In fact, I think I will be. And Andy put me right on this some years ago. He said, this idea of a community is ridiculous. It's silly. Um, It's actually not harmful, but dangerous. You know, to lump every gay man and woman and trans man and woman into this community thing, implying that they all think with one mind and speak with one voice when, in fact, they don't. But it's happening all the time. Please wear the rainbow stuff. Please get involved to demonstrate you are an ally. And I said this some years ago, that there will be consequences for the, for the refuseniks. <laughs> I can't imagine how I would fare. I'm a nice guy. If you knew me when I worked in companies, I wasn't loud and brash and mouthy and showy-offy. I wasn't. I was a kind of a quiet guy. But I also had a bit of fortitude about me. You know, I, I can't imagine how I would have reacted. I don't think I would have done well. You know, Richie, will you be signing up for the LGBT ally program? Will you wear rainbow, I don't know, will you wear rainbow suspenders next week? <laughs> you know, and you, you're like, well, I just came here to make biscuits, you know, when I got the job in the biscuit factory. I came here to put the figs in the fig rolls. And you made me sign an NDA just to be able to put the figs in the fig rolls. And I did that. I just want to carry on. I'm hoping for a promotion to coconut creams. Can you just leave me out of it? No, Richie, you, you hateful fecker. You've got to, you know, be in solidarity with your gay colleagues. And you might have two gay people in a biscuit factory of 700 employees. It's mad, isn't it? One more voice on this from another one of these opponents of Kathleen Stock. She made an interesting uh, comment about Alex Jones of Infowars, no less. You know, the classic argument is freedom of speech. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. So we should allow, like, I don't know, Alex Jones to come and talk. And Why not? Why not allow Alex Jones come and talk at the Oxford Union? You know, we allow, like, racists and stuff and come to come and talk rhetoric that we... But, but you had Tommy Robinson there some years ago and some of his listeners some of his followers listen to me and they won't like this Tommy is a dyed in the wool racist 
dyed in the wool, right? No doubt about it. Might have cleaned his act up in recent years to look more palatable to the people he wanted to um, follow him. But dyed in the wool, bona fide racist Tommy Robinson. I have no problem with that. Good luck to him. Free speech and all the rest of it. But he went and addressed the Oxford Union, did Tommy. He went and did it like. No problem. And they questioned him on his uh, opinions and on his uh, series. And then they all went home. And again, nobody died. Nobody was harmed. And some people saw, Jesus, that guy's an absolute idiot. And probably some people saw, well, he made some sense, that guy. That's how it goes. It's, 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 it's freedom of speech. And then there are like bedrock things that we don't accept in society. There, are freedom of, there is freedom of speech. And then there are bedrock things that we don't accept in society. That is bollocks. There is either freedom of speech or there isn't. It is either absolute or it isn't. Now, I know what you're going to say. Incitement, where does that come into it? Well, of course, it's not right that people go online or elsewhere and incite violence against somebody else. That's not right, but we have laws in society. That's on the statute books. That is a criminal that is a a criminal offence. It's already there. But as for the rest of it, anything goes. I've said it before. People said to me, oh, you censorious bastard. Why? Because I wrote things about the Holocaust on your website and you deleted them. Absolutely. Go on your own website and write what you want about the Holocaust. You won't do it on mine. My, my website is not, a, is not a free speech zone. The radio show is. Come on the radio and say it and I'll take you apart. No problem. But not on the website. That's not a free speech zone. Um, that's my website. You want to say stuff like that, do it on your own website. And more importantly, use your own name. Not some moniker or pseudonym or what have you. 22 minutes past the year. I've no doubts there are already plenty of comments on that, but as I said, we won't dwell too much on it. There are other very interesting things to talk about today. This is the Richie Allen Show with me, Richie Allen, broadcasting live from BBG Terrace in Salford. In the very sunny Salford today, the Costa del Salford, you might say. This is free then. Much more chat coming between now and whenever. Wednesday's programme, the 31st of March, 2023. Yeah, the very distinctive voice of Paul Rogers, free and all right now, 25 and a half minutes past the hour. Wednesday's Richie Allen show. Broadcasting information the mainstream media will not touch. Analysis you won't find anywhere else in the world. Do support the programme, by the way, if you can. I'd really appreciate it. If you've never done before, now's the time to do it. Ask not what the BBG can do for you, but what you can do for the BBG. Support the Richie Allen Show now at richieallen.co.uk. Craig has been on to say on the website, community, effectively a compound word meaning common unity. Like the religious idea of communion is effectively a compound word to mean common union. They are pretty much the same thing or mean the same thing, expressed slightly differently. Thank you, Craig. Yes, it's pretty obvious what community means. It ultimately means, uh, when you boil it all down, one way of seeing and doing things. Yes. William asks, where can I go to celebrate being straight? Would that be acceptable today? I'd probably get lifted and sent off to a reform camp. I'll see you there. If my memory serves, some... Christian people attempted to join on to a gay pride parade or at least not join on but attempted to protest it from the sidelines wearing proud to be straight t-shirts I can't remember where that was it was somewhere in the states and they were very aggressively moved away by the police 
I'll have to dig that out somewhere. Hi to Angela, who says, I'm so flattered that all of these men want to be me. And Diane, friend of the show, who is a transgen excuse me, transsexual woman. How are you doing, Diane? Uh, this Gender Recognition Act shows how ridiculous the legal system is. They can call murder abortion and make it legal. People will soon see through the system, and that will be the downfall of the system, says Diane. You might very well be right, Diane. And Patricia has been on from Zurich. How are you doing, Patricia? Friend of the programmes. These people cannot even justify their own delusions. No. Isn't it funny, Patricia? I think you and I would have had a very similar political, I don't know, I don't want, I don't want to say journey, but we would have come from lefty, you know, left-wing, trade-unionist people, live and let live, bit of socialism, but old-school socialism, old-school We'd never see a hair harmed on the head of a trans person. We'd never see a trans person discriminated against just because they are a trans person. We wouldn't put up with it. And that's not virtue signalling. That's just a fact. And I've demonstrated this in the past. We would not put up with it. I will not put up with it as a sovereign individual. You know, if somebody is trans or believes they are in the wrong body, that's absolutely their own business. And they certainly should not lose out because of that. They shouldn't be denied the right to make a living. They shouldn't be excluded from participating in society. But there are limits because ultimately you're not really a woman. And women's spaces should be reserved for biological women. That's how I see it. I think most people see it like that in any case. Keep the messages coming in. And thanks to Paddy Sharkey. Paddy, I've got your email. It looks good to me, pal. I'll have a good read of it and I'll get back to you ASAP. Hi to IT Bird. I haven't a clue is the answer, IT Bird, because I wasn't paying attention to the playlist before the programme, so I can't help you, I'm afraid. Marvellous. Uh, Flying Pedant says, Richie, you don't live in the northwest of the UK. Yes, I do. Uh, Tarkin says, NASA are full of lies. Mark says, Richie, no, I didn't, Mark. Backbeat says, is NASA or are NASA at all curious about UFO activity? If so, their first port of call should be the US Navy or the Air Force that's backbeat. Yes, because the Navy admitted, didn't it, in the last year or so, that it encountered crafts or vehicles in the sky that didn't appear to be of this world, doing strange, weird and wonderful aeronautical, aerobatical, whatever you want to call it, um, mad things in the sky. Shall I bore you with that story again very quickly? It's like 30 seconds. Back in Caroline's Bar in Spain in, I don't know, 11 or 12 years ago, retired Aer Lingus pilot was in the pub with his wife. We remember this very distinct, we remember this very vividly because the wife was a really pretentious, she was a very hyacinth bouquet woman, the wife. Very proud to be married to an airline pilot. and She was very hoity-toity. Kind of person you don't really like. Probably a good woman, probably. But a pain in the arse, anyway. But he was lovely, this retired captain. We had a bit of a chat, never mentioned radio, never mentioned journalism. And he said they saw some strange old things up there. But they were working under a... They were working under a, an understanding that if they were to say that they saw anything, and that goes for the flight attendants too, by the way, they might find themselves grounded very quickly. He said he saw some 
astonishing things. He saw a spherical silver looking thing that looked like a what we would call a ball bearing, a silver ball. He said it was about 30 to 40 metres in diameter and it was whizzing around the plane. He wasn't lying to me. Look, I've conducted 1,500, maybe 3,000 interviews, maybe more to be honest over the years and 20 plus years of broadcasting with a break here and there. You know when you're being had on. I look at the eyes. Have you ever done that, dear listener? Have you studied that? I've studied this. I'm very good, you see. I've studied tells. I know the tells. I know what happens to the eyes and to the index fingers when people are not telling the truth. But the guy told me this story and he said, yeah. I said, were you scared? He said, quite a bit. Yeah, I certainly wasn't enjoying it up there, he said, not knowing what was going to happen, maybe that it might crash into the plane and kill me and the 300 passengers. This is a transatlantic flight, you see. Yeah, so the Air Force is a good, uh, a good shout there, backbeat. Hi to Terry, who says, I saw a UFO when I was about 13 or 14, along with 10 neighbours. My sister saw the same UFO as she was walking home. Uh, today, I don't believe in aliens. They were either a NASA advanced craft or demons, says Terry. Interesting, Terry. A silent voice says, it's not the fingers and the toes that the trans people are cutting off, though. Well, actually, silent voice, trans women don't cut anything off. They don't have surgery. Trans women are intact and don't have any plans to have surgery. It's very important that people understand that, you know. Okay. Thank you, Bernie. Good evening, Graham, who mentions Eddie Izzard. (laughs) I can't say anything about Eddie Izzard that hasn't been said already. Sean asks, I wonder if a tranny has ever been abducted by aliens. Gronje says, it's overkill. When is this nonsense going to fade into oblivion? Hi to Kev, who says, well, to be fair, Richie, we don't know what his lived experience is. I don't like him, but he has an opinion. Maybe he's a grifter. He's talking about Tommy Robinson. Uh, the same that went on in the North, and look how that ended. Uh, thanks, Kev. I've made my feelings about Robinson known in the past, so it isn't anything new. Uh, I don't think he thinks very highly of me either. Spoke to him twice on radio in Spain. The second time I interviewed him, he hung up. He didn't like a question I asked him. He was, he was going on about Muslim men beating up their women. And I said, ah, now, Tommy... And uh, he didn't like that, and he hung up. And that was fine too. That was uh, quite a long time ago. Might be able to dig that out, you know. <clears throat> I've been asked um, about that. I think I might know somebody who might have that interview. At uh, 26 and a half minutes to the top of the air. Let's move on, he says. Stop using cliches, Baldy. Hey, GB News has temporarily suspended its hiring politician programme. You know, we've gone on and on about this, you know, offering news shows to MPs, how crazy it is. Isn't it amazing? Not only are we not going to hold politicians to account anymore, we'll give them their own news programmes. I will not list, because I've done it so much uh, in the past, I won't list the names of all these politicians who these days have their own shows. But now they're, they're moving, it. well, they're not moving away from politicians, but they're moving in a slightly different direction. They're hiring people like this guy. Shall I give you a clue as to who this guy is? Shall I? Let me give you a clue. Baby girl, I said tonight is your lucky night. Peter Andre along with Bubble Ranks on the mic. Yeah. Jesus. I know, I know. Peter and Peter Andre. 
co-hosted the breakfast show this morning on GB News. It's a news breakfast programme. Some laugh, right? So I switched over to ITV. Ed Balls was there. Ed Balls, what a piss take. Where's, do you know, I haven't said this. It did occur to me. Where is the National Union of Journalists on this? I mean, I know the NUJ aren't the Teamsters. They're not the Teamsters, but but come on, like. I mean, what chance do you have if you're coming out of university? You did a journalism degree. Maybe you did a degree in politics, maybe. Whatever, right? You're starving. You need a job. You need a chance. And they're hiring Peter fucking Andre to interview politicians on GB News Breakfast. And that's what he did. He interviewed Labour's Shadow International Development Secretary, Nick Thomas Simmons. He did the interview, Peter Andre. He did the interview. Right, I'm not going to play you any of it because it's ridiculous. He did the interview. What does that say to you? You're at Seoul for Junie studying television and radio. You need a job. They're putting Peter Andre in there. They're laughing in our faces. Uh, the Metropolitan Police might have woken up from wokeness. Can you awaken from wake from wokeness? Can you awaken from wokeness? Um, it seems they've finally started to drag climate change protesters out of the road. Have you seen some of the footage today in London? Did you see the guy in the van yesterday? who slowly drove through the Just Stop Oil people. Did you see that? He kept going ever so slowly and then slightly increased his speed until they panicked and they dodged out of the way of the van and then he drove away. This was on a bridge. Did you see that? This is dangerous. And uh, I'm predicting, and I have been predicting for some time, somebody's going to be killed. And that'll be a terrible thing. Because nobody deserves to be killed. Ridiculous as they are, somebody is going to be killed. 23 and a half minutes to the top of the air. Clint Eastwood, <coughs> Clint Eastwood even, is 93 today, excuse me, coughing in your face. Now, I don't care a jot about Clint Eastwood's politics. I do not care. Uh, he's made some of my favourite films and the missus adores him. What a career. 93 is. On screen, on screen and behind the camera, he understands film, doesn't he, Clint Eastwood? Eh? Eh? Unforgiven, Million Dollar Baby, One of the Dirty Harrys, Every Which Way But Loose, Play Misty For Me, The Good, The Bad and The Ugly. Amazing. What's your favourite Clint Eastwood film? Do, please, dear listener, please share it with me. I want to hear it. What is your favourite Clint film? I'll tell you one which was panned by the critics, but I really enjoyed it. It was um, In the Line of Fire with John Malkovich. Clint played a Secret Service agent who was on JFK duty in Dallas in 1963. And then another guy comes out of the woodwork in the 90s and says he's going to kill the current president. And it's all about Clint chasing down John Malkovich. Spoilers are unnecessary. He obviously wins. I don't think Clint ever lost in his life in any of his movies anyway. We're going to talk about something very serious now. We're going to talk about something that Jean Ann Crowley, my friend, my co- my confidant, what Jean Ann said to me. She said to me a couple of days ago, did you see the Irish Independent? I said, no, I didn't. Why? Well, she says on the front page of it, she might have said this yesterday, on the front page of it, they talked about killing two million cows in Ireland. No, they didn't. They didn't. They talked about killing 200,000 cows in Ireland in order to help offset climate change, in order to reduce CO2 emissions in Ireland. Now, some of our listeners believe 
that the agendas we discuss on this programme are coming from somewhere else. They are demonic. There is some black magic, black art thing going on. It isn't just bad people or something else going on. And sometimes you wonder. Let's listen once again. We heard from them yesterday. Ireland's Morning Ireland, which is RTE National Radio Morning Ireland. Have a listen to the opening to this segment, dear listener. Dairy farmers may have to be paid up to 600 million euro to cull cows if the country is to meet its climate change targets. The figures are contained in an internal Department of Agriculture paper and were first reported in the Irish Independent. Ireland is unusual in the EU in that more than 35% of the country's greenhouse gas emissions come from agriculture. Under targets published by the government, emissions from farming must be reduced by a quarter before the end of the decade. The Minister for Agriculture, Charlie McConlogue, is with us. Good morning. Good morning, Rachel. Will there be a voluntary herd reduction scheme for dairy farmers? No, before he answers the question as to, as to whether there will be a voluntary dairy herd reduction scheme, Chirichi said there, 25% reduction in emissions on Irish farms by 2030. You hear that? Will there be a voluntary reduction of the herd scheme? Charlie McConnellogue. Yeah, the Minister for Agriculture in Ireland. Well, I'm working very closely with farm representative organisations in relation to delivering on our 25% target for agriculture by, by 2030, which is part of the economy-wide 51% uh, reduction. As part of doing that, a uh, key to doing that is working with farmers and working in partnership. And uh, I established last year um, a dairy vision group um, with farm representatives central to it and also a beef and, and sheep uh, vision group. One of the recommendations coming out of the dairy vision group was that uh, we should explore the option of a voluntary dairy reduction scheme. So that's something that voluntary dairy reduction scheme that my uh, team is currently scoping out um, and is something that's under consideration. Um, what we are absolutely committed to, Rachel, is adopting options which will deliver. And I think, and it doesn't often come out in terms of the public discussion in this, but this is something that farmers are very much up for. It's a, it's a, it's a, something, it's a journey which farmers are already on. And uh, for example, in the various and new common agricultural policy schemes which are common agricultural policy schemes this is the European Union you see Charlie McConnellogue would have you believe that at the Department of Agriculture in Dublin they're coming up with these ideas to help reduce Ireland's farming CO2 emissions by a quarter by the end of this decade but he's allowing insert your own expletive this is coming from the European Union Ireland is a vassal state a fiefdom of Brussels. None of our politicians have any authority or any power. This is lockstep stuff that is going on in every other European country. Listen. I've launched this year. The uptake for, from farmers has been very strong. Those schemes are very much uh, directed towards actually helping to achieve uh, that uh, emissions reduction and really importantly back farmers in doing it. And, and to do that I, I have ensured working with uh, government colleagues that we would have a 50% increase in national government funding towards those schemes All to right. support farmers and, and in that journey. Before she comes back in, basically spending hundreds of millions of euro to convince Irish dairy farmers to piss off into the sunset and basically cease dairy farming. No more milk production from you. Off you go. Here's an enormous amount of money. Just don't uh, produce any more milk and um, kill off whatever is left of your dairy herd. 
What did she ask him? People may have heard Pat O'Rourke of the ICMSA on drive time yesterday. He didn't express outright opposition to a scheme like this. He fell well short of that. So when are you going to make a decision on this? Well, I've indicated uh, this year that, uh, that 2022 would be a base year. Uh, for any scheme that would be rolled out. Um, I'm currently assessing the situation, working with the team, and really importantly, we'll continue to work with farm organisations. As you said, I've worked closely with them up to this point in time, so there isn't any shocks or surprises here. And indeed, in terms of how we step this out, it will be done in partnership. It'll be done in partnership. He's basically, what he said there is, I'll, 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 I'll translate for you, even though he speaks pretty well, he's a decent speaker. He says, in effect, he says, we're waiting until we get the nod from Brussels as to how we proceed. Now, this gets very interesting. This. It does sound, though, as though a scheme of this sort is going to be announced at some point in the near future. Yeah, well, if, you, if you listen to, uh, as you say, Pat McCormick yesterday mentioned how this discussion, uh, this, this was discussed at the Dairy Vision Group and how farmers were open and uh, proposed the idea that where some dairy farmers uh, wanted to exit, that a voluntary exit scheme would be helpful in that regard. So listen, I'll continue to work with them now in relation to um, uh, stepping that forward okay. and so making just to be a final clear on decision this, on it. You will more than likely be making an announcement the, on the, this. There isn't a final decision on it yet. We're scoping it out and looking at the, the role that it can play. Yeah, there isn't a final decision. We haven't really had the rubber stamping done by Brussels yet. Rachel, is that what she's called? Rebecca, Rachel, whatever her name is, it doesn't matter. But uh, we'll wait and we'll know in due course. It does get interesting, this. Now, what we have to do and, and uh, is ensure we continue that food production but reduce the emissions footprint of it. So, continue producing food but reduce the emissions of it, but how do you do that? And that indeed is very doable, Rachel. If you, how? If you look and at, will if that you, involve reducing the number of dairy cows? It, it will involve a range of options, including many, many options. that one. Well, it remains including beef farming, including grain farming. It's all of farming. That 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 remains to be seen. That is something that has been proposed, and which I'm currently considering whether a voluntary option for those wishing to exit um, would would be would be put in place. Now that would also. A voluntary option for the farmers and when they say no you know no I like it I like the old farm you know don't have much time for much else it'll be compulsory purchase order all in the name of saving the planet. So be important to ensure that we can have new entrants and that we have renewal in our agricultural system because that, that is also really important but, but it's important to recognise this the milk we produce is a really really sustainable nutritious safe food it, it, we do it massively well we have a competitive advantage economically to, to doing it because it's grass based and the fact that it's grass based means that it's a very sustainable uh, system as well. Looking the, though the at key, yesterday's the key, the key point now going results. forward is to reduce the emissions footprint of how yeah, we produce and, it. And people accept that looking at yes do they do people accept that that you have to drastically reduce dairy farming in Ireland in order to offset or to reduce your emissions by 25% by the end of the decade do they do the Irish people really know what this entails what it means do they know that if you leave dairy farming to one side for a minute and you look at farming beef and farming particularly farming grain and crops do they realize that the plan is to introduce biotech crops Monsanto or Monsatan type products, crops that come out of these uh, Franken seeds that they will claim and they have claimed um, take uh, y you know are much better for the climate change fight that these crops um, these seeds even um, ultimately result in much less emissions. Are the Irish people aware of these conversations that are going on in Brussels? 
that we can farm okay, but you've got to farm using these seeds. Are they aware of this or is RTE asleep on, on, on its watch again? Yesterday's census results, the numbers working in almost every sector of the economy have increased. The exception is agriculture, forestry and fishing, where there was an 8% fall. Is that fall likely to continue? Yeah. Talking about eco-schemes, nature restoration or re- re-wetting as it's being called. Listen to this, this is really important now. Rewilding. You know, taking people off land, telling them it cannot be farmed, it cannot be used for any purpose at all, it must be left to grow wild as it would have done two, three thousand years ago, whatever. Listen. Talking about eco-schemes, nature restoration or re-wetting as it's being called is due to be discussed in the Doyle today. How is Ireland going to meet its EU targets? Will farmers be forced to take part? Do you like that? Again, the question itself is so spooky, isn't it? How will Ireland meet its EU targets? You know, they, they will tell you. And they do tell you, they do explain to you, sometimes in the media, the clues are in the questions. Ireland is not a sovereign nation. It has no control over its own national agricultural policy. It does not. I talked about this, I wrote about this on the website, what the common agricultural policy is, where it came from, what it means, what it's meant to do. It is ultimately meant to destroy farming. Completely completely reduce farming down to a tiny number of uh, providers in nation states like the 27 members of the European Union, 26 now is it, I can't remember, 26, 27, used to be 28, and, um, and food will be provided by other means. And we know what the other means are, don't we? Food that is grown in laboratories, um, insects and stuff. None of this is conspiracy theory by the way I'm not making this stuff up as I go along these are the solutions so what do we need to do we need to destroy farming in order to reduce our CO2 emissions in order to prevent catastrophic climate change which isn't happening and never will happen by the way so we've got to do that right so what will we do then in place of it well in place of it we'll bring in seeds created by companies like Monsanto that you can grow these seeds excuse me you can sow these seeds and grow crops from these franken seeds and the process will produce less CO2 and you've got to believe us because we tell you by the way these are patented patented seeds by these awful companies that's on the one hand and on the other hand you've got to introduce uh, weird and wonderful things to your diet things that were unimaginable to you a few years ago this is where it's going it's happening now Certainly not. And this has been a key to the approach I've taken and that the government have taken um, throughout this process. We're going to work with farmers in relation to delivering our emissions reductions targets. And farmers, really importantly, are working with us. And farmers have a great appetite to contribute to this. The farm organisations are... Farmers have a great appetite to contribute to it. I don't know if he's telling the truth, but I would imagine when you're talking about maybe several million euros, you know, maybe two million, maybe three million euro. Take the money, stop the farming. I mean, that's appetizing to any man or woman who's getting up at five o'clock in the morning. And I know farmers get up earlier, right? Right to uh, to 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 look after the dairy herd. Farming is a job that never ends. We've stayed on a farm in Wales uh, earlier this um, late winter, early spring, and we did it late last summer. The same farm. Jesus, they work hard, right? Right? So you say to a farming person, here you are, give you a few million quid as long as you stop farming. Yeah, sounds good to me. 
but they won't know the implications of it, will they? What it really means. Committed to delivering the 25% uh, reduction by 2030, and we are committed to working with family farms to deliver on that as well. So in if relation you don't to, force farmers to do this, how is the system so, going So to in work? relation to the re-wetting targets, I've been working um, at European level, at, at council ministers level, with ministers from other countries. To he goes on to say that he thinks they will achieve the re-wetting targets, which is rewilding, by by using land that is already owned by the Irish government. I don't believe him, but I can't prove he's lying. So he says, we've got these targets given to us by the EU, telling us that we've got to rewild a certain amount of land. He says, we can do this. I mean, I can let you hear him say it if you want, but I'm looking at the clock, to be honest. Make sure that the initial proposals would fully take account of our own national uh, profile here. We have achieved changes and progress at council of ministers level in the last two to three weeks, which means, for example, that in relation to the re-wetting target that's proposed and agreed among the council of ministers at the moment, that that target could be met entirely, if necessary, from state-owned land, from Bordenamona and Kielce land, for example. And right, so I wasn't telling you lies, right? So he says the rewilding stuff in Ireland. Now listen to this, you might be nodding off because you might be in France listening, plenty of listeners in France, you might be in Spain. This is coming for you as well. In fact, it's happening now in your country. So he says, we've got rewilding targets, again, I've got to say it again, which is basically empty that land of all human activity and let the land grow wild to save the planet. I mean, this is fucking madness, right? That's what we've got to do. He says we can do it with land already owned by the government. We don't think we'll need to take land away from people in order to reach that target. That's your so plan that, then at so the moment, that so this that, scheme would, would go ahead entirely on state-owned no, so, land. So that, that, that really importantly provides a reassurance to farmers across the country that there will be no requirement on them to re-wet any of their land. Now, but, but as we've seen with the many schemes that we've rolled out, there is an appetite among farmers to contribute. Uh, I've no doubt that there'll be an appetite among farmers to contribute to this yeah, and? So we we have the capacity, while we'll have the capacity to meet it from state-owned land entirely. We think we have the capacity to meet it with state-owned land. Entirely. Farmers will also be contributing to that on a voluntary basis where they wish to do so. And the, the key point being being paid strongly to do that as well. Wow. So we have the capacity for the rewilding with land we already own, but farmers will be contributing to that voluntarily and they'll be paid very well for it. That's why I have a bit of sympathy when people say it's demonic, Richie. Because it is demonic, it is to to basically shut down the a nation's farming incrementally, but it won't be incrementally, will it? It'll be really rapidly in the next few years. Just based on this lie is that we need to reduce emissions in Ireland, farming emissions. There, we need to. If you look at the farming sector on its own, we need to reduce emissions by a quarter by the end of the decade. And to do that, we need to stop farming. Where are you going to get your food from? See, she doesn't ask him that. And it's at this point in programmes like this that I do have to remind myself that I, I should be professional because there are things I want to say about that wench who conducted that interview with uh, Charlie McConnellogue, the Irish Agricultural Minister. There are things I want to say about that. I, I can't because if I carry on, I will lose half the audience. It enrages me. Enrages me. What are they going to eat people in this country? Where are we going to buy our milk from? Where are we going to get it? And of course, Monsatan 
and other biotech companies, they're producing milk too. And that's what it's all about, you see. This is ultimately why the European Union came into existence in the first place. You see, mega petrochemical and biotech companies realised that life is pretty shit when you've got to go around the world negotiating with individual sovereign governments to get your horrible fucking products on their supermarket shelves. Very difficult. Ha ha! Eureka! I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll form trading blocks like the European Union. And we will encourage countries like Spain, France, Ireland, Italy, right? Formerly the UK, right? Obviously. And all the other countries. We will encourage them to, to, to trade and to conduct business as one single unit. Yeah. Because it's much easier for us the evil companies that want to fuck up your lives to deal with one supranational body like the European Union than it is if we had to deal with every individual government. This is how it goes. And in that interview there, that's one of the most important interviews I've heard for many a day, on the many, many a week on the Richie Allen Show. There you have laid out for you. The European Union, Union is calling the shots here. We have to do this, we have to do that. We have to end dairy farming, more or less. Not even getting into beef farming, not even getting into grain farming. It is, it's pretty awful, isn't it? At least I think it is. And it's happening right across Europe. And most European people don't have the first clue what's really going on. This is Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, by the way. Tom Petty and American Girl on your Richie Allen show. The time, dear listener, is coming up to one minute to six o'clock. It is, of course, Wednesday's programme. It's always great to be with you. Thanks for choosing the Richie Allen radio show. Good to be with you, to be with you, good. Uncensored, unfiltered. You're listening to Richie Allen on the world's most popular independent news radio show. Ah, sure it is, it is, it is. Now, I'm going to do what I did yesterday. I'm going to take your um, telephone calls and WhatsApp messages between now and the top of the air. It was great yesterday. Uh, I like this. I'm in that kind of frame of mind at the moment. I'm going to look after. I'm going to, I'm going to um, yeah, I'm going to basically do the show like this. As I said, increasingly, it's not that I won't be having guests on. I was due to have guests on today. I put them off till next week for a reason. I do have guests booked in tomorrow, but I like doing it this way. A little bit extra work, to be honest, with the production and all of that. But um, it's good. While um, we get you on the line, there are many comments. I'm going to read them now as I wait for your telephone calls and your Skypes. By the way, the contact details for the programme are as follows. There is a WhatsApp number. You can WhatsApp the programme now. I hate to say ridiculous terminology we're using now. You can WhatsApp the programme. There is a WhatsApp number. I have posted that number on a meme and it's on Facebook and it's on Twitter. The meme. But the number is... I can't read. I've got to take my glasses off. That's a sign you're getting old, isn't it? I've only noticed this recently. I cannot read with my distance glasses. And I used to be able to read with my distance glasses. I'm getting old anyway. And so the number is 07565 That's the WhatsApp. That Those details, as I said, are on a meme. And the meme is on... Facebook and Twitter, okay? 
It's your call. Skype, chat with Richie, or call 0161 818 2018. If you're calling from overseas, it's plus 44161 818 2018. Talk to Richie now. Right, so you can contact me as a traditional way, or you can get onto me via WhatsApp. Now, you can send me a text message on WhatsApp to tell me you'd like to come on, and then I'll phone you. And you can um, start ringing in now if you choose. But while you're doing that, let me just open the bloody thing. Open the thing, Baldy. Uh, let me just remind you, it's great to hear new people. And it's great not to be calling in all the time. So if you called in recently, don't do it today. Uh, give it a rest. Let's get some new people calling in this hour. So if you want to come on on WhatsApp, leave me a message to say, Richie, get me on and I'll get you on. But I've got to read some of these uh, text messages that have come in via the app because you took the time to send them in to me, so you did. Chris says he only learned of the reason for the cancellation of Graham Linehan around the same time as J.K. Rowling. A character in the IT crowd was dating a trans person and didn't know. I'm not sure about that, to be honest. Um, that it comes down to a bad joke or a funny joke written by Graham Linhan. I'm not sure, but but you might know more than me. Uh, hi to Sean, who says, there's undoubtedly a dark agenda at play here. I've said it many times before, says Sean. We are in a spiritual war. I don't know you too well, Sean, so I'll take your word for it that you've said it many a time before. Hi to Bob, who says, how long is it before we get charged for taking a poo? That's a good question. If everybody is given a CO2 allowance, which we might be in the near future, a carbon allowance, will you will your poo be... I don't think your poo will be measured. Then again, you never know. Cookie says, I remember reading about the rewilding scheme some years ago. It is very worrying. Stephen says, bioengineering the food will help the jabs combat COVIDs more effectively. Uh, Kean says, Richie, do these people promoting this net zero and GMO food really think they will be immune? They won't be eating it, um, Kean. I wouldn't imagine. Bill says, my dad was a farmer until he passed away a decade ago. If he suddenly came back to life on planet Earth, he would think the world had gone bonkers. He wouldn't be able to understand it, the insanity. I hear you. I to Dean Sawyer. Richie, total control of the food chain will be the final piece of the jigsaw. The health and monetary system is already under their complete control. Uh, Paul in Northold says, I'm 56. Remember grandparents growing veg in their council house gardens, home economics classes at school, learning to cook with recipes. This was deliberately removed from the curriculum, says Paul. We are now starting to grow food. Clueless, but there's a lot of great advice on YouTube, Facebook groups, etc. Weather and polluted rain probably do not help, but it is the way forward. Good message that. Robbie says, Richie, I wear goggles, Richie. My optician said, your eyes get drier as you get older, which makes most oldies' eyes worse, whether you wear the goggles or not. And Tim says, Richie, my grandson is hooked on wet leg after five days of constant chaise long. It's your fault, Richie. Delighted. Delighted the old grandkid, Ollie, is listening to a bit of a wet leg. Thrilled about that. Uh, get in touch with the programme via the WhatsApp number, please. I'd like to hear from you on any of these subjects. The number of WhatsApp, that is. And again, the meme is on Facebook and it's on Twitter. It's BBG Richie on Facebook, BBG Richie on Twitter. The WhatsApp is 07565 942270. But it's plus 447565 942270. And the traditional way to contact the programme, the details are 
are as follows. Get in touch with me now. It's your call. Skype. Chat with Richie. Or call 0161 818 2018. If you're calling from overseas, it's plus 44161 818 2018. Talk to Richie now. Do get in touch with me now. The time is five minutes past six. And um, if you don't, I'll just sit here and relax, enjoy the sunshine, as I said yesterday, and play myself a nice few tunes. That's what I'll do. I'll chill out. So talk to me. Talk to me now. Talk to me quickly. Agnes says, Richie, RFK Jr. was saying what you said about farmland. One company owns lots in America. Also, China owns lots of land in America. I bet China owns lots in Europe now. Didn't Bill Gates buy up lots of farmland in the United States in recent years? I I don't know exactly how many hectares, but it's in the tens of thousands as far as I understand. Um, no mask, no job, says smart toilets will require you to pay a subscription to flush, maybe. Richard Kelly says wet, 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 wet market in Wuhan, wet pubs to close during the lockdown and wet lands. Is wet a spell word? Asks Richard. Thank you, Richard. Craig says, Richie, look up agra.org and take a good look at who has been investing in it. There are some very familiar corporate names. Thanks, Craig. I am familiar with agra.org. I will check it out again. Krista Gardner says, Richie, evening. I think we are a couple of years away from Soylent Green, so they won't need the farms then. That's Krista Gardner. Thanks for that, Chris. Angela says, it's horrifying that they want to do this to farms. I have a good friend who's got a dairy farm. The work he does to produce milk and other food for the community is vital. To consider the plan they are considering is beyond evil. That's Angela. Thank you so much for that. Angela, it is happening at warp speed now, isn't it? You see, that's why I was was steadfast, to use that term, in my opinion or expressing my opinion that they might not go down the lockdown route again anytime soon. Many of our listeners have expressed to me in the last year or so that they were really concerned about variants being used to lock society down again, to wreck even more businesses and to plunge even more people into poverty. And I totally understand why anybody would say that. I totally get it. But I have have believed for some time now that the climate change scam is where the eggs are going to be placed. If you see that as the eggs in the basket, that's where I think it might be heading and almost exclusively. And of course, transhumanism. And of course, getting people, getting more and more people into online spaces and the metaverse and all the rest of that. That's how I see it. But I could be wrong. I'm known to be wrong from time to time. It's eight minutes past the air. Wednesday's programme with me, Richie Allen, on richieallen.co.uk, Fab Radio 2 in Manchester, and of course the brand new application for the programme. Or it's not brand new, is it? You can download it via Google Play or via Apple's App Store. Back in a moment. The Richie Allen Show features doctors, scientists, academics and researchers who have been banned by the legacy media. Support Richie now by making a financial contribution at richieallen.co.uk. It's your call. Skype. 
Chat with Richie. Or call 0161 818 2018. If you're calling from overseas, it's plus 44 161 818 2018. Talk to Richie now. Right, I'm going to take a tune while you get in touch with me. It's over to you. I look forward to hearing from you. It's keep me on air till 7. I'll be on air till 7 o'clock anyway. So let's do that. Here's Steve Miller, the Joker. Yeah. Some people call me the space. You're the cutest thing I ever did see. Yeah, Steve Miller and uh, the Joker on the Richie Allen show. 13 minutes past the hour. Great song. Terrific song. Dave, Dave has been in touch. Um, I don't know what to make of this. I did see the story. Um, Miss Ireland has died, says Dave. Not the current Miss Ireland. Am I right in saying that? Can, can I bring that story up there? Hang on now, hang on. Um, you can hear me typing there furiously. Um, let me do that. And somebody was trying to get through there, so I want to take a call as well. Hang on. This is this is Judy Fitzgerald, is it? Uh, no, no, no. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Uh, let me bring up the Irish Daily Mail. Yeah, Judy Fitzgerald, Miss Bikini Ireland, apparently. And a star of a programme called First Dates has died unexpectedly aged uh, 32. A former Miss Bikini uh, has died, prompting an outpouring of tributes. Judy Fitzgerald from County Limerick, known for appearing on the programme I just mentioned, uh, and passed away on Saturday, according to a death notice, which said she would be sadly missed by her heartbroken parents, Liam and Imelda, sister Lucy, brother William. Yeah. You see, these things happen, right? And people immediately jump in with two feet, don't they? And draw a conclusion or come to a, or reach a conclusion about COVID jabs and stuff. And I don't think this is very helpful at all, to be honest. And I don't think it does those, I shouldn't say those of us, because I'm not one of them. I'm an independent journalist who likes to, um, or, or tries to look at facts to determine what's going on. So I don't consider myself to be part of any wider community. But there are those within the independent media um, sphere, because there is no such thing as a community, because we don't think with one train of thought. But there are those in alternative media who are doing as much as they can to determine just how damaging the COVID vaccine jabs have been, the COVID jabs have been, right? And some of these people are doing it properly. They're not drawing conclusions, but lots and lots of people are not doing it properly and they are attributing any sudden death, any death of somebody, particularly people in their 30s, 20s, 40s. Well, it must be. And I don't think that's helpful. I, I really don't. And it must be maddening to the families of people who died and who maybe died because of some completely different event, something completely different. So I don't know what to make of these things when I see them, but um, you can't draw any conclusions. You really can't. Richard Sunday says, relating to growing your own veg and stuff, I'm on a morning mint tea and evening nettle tea from the bushes in the yard. Small adjustments make big health differences. Everyone needs to grow something, says Richard. You need to have the land, Richard. And if those... Prophets of the Great Reset, if those men and women who came on programmes with me many years ago to warn about this dystopian lunacy we are witnessing unfold in front of our eyes, if they are right, and they've been right so far, haven't they? The, 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 the plan is to get people into human settlement zones, is to get people away 
from the countryside away from the coastal areas and into big cities. I don't know if you know this, but Manchester is ultimately going to look like New York City or Singapore or Chicago, if you want to say that, or London. Skyscrapers are going up at the speed of light in Manchester. For what? You know? They're not all. In fact, I don't think many of them are financial institutions. These aren't banks and other financial institutions, insurance companies. These seem to be apartment buildings, massive ones going up. Who are they for? When you think about it, who are they for? If they are shutting down the high street, which they are, right? The high street in Manchester is dying on its arse. It is like every other high street in the country. And if they are driving people out of high streets, if they are driving people into... um into a situation whereby they will pretty much do everything from home. Well, then it's not an unreasonable assumption or an unreasonable claim to make that these buildings, these massive buildings going up, not just in Manchester, in every other city in the country, are for people who will live there, work there, eat there and be entertained there. Because they won't work in their office buildings in uh, the city centres anymore because all of that's all being discontinued. You know, so many people are now working hybrid. They're working this hybrid system, which is crazy to me. Three days in the office and two days at home. Of course, if that was a voluntary thing, it would be a great thing. If that was an organic thing, it would be a great thing. If people who worked in office buildings, you know, pre-COVID had come together and said, you know what, we could do some of this stuff at home and be a bit more comfortable you know, and at home we could maybe do it outside in the garden, take the computer out there and just chill out a bit and keep an eye on the dog, keep an eye on the cat. If that was an organic thing, happy days, right? But it's not, it's been forced on people. So they're building these massive high-rise buildings. And, and you know they're not for banks and financial institutions, so who are they for? And then you see that apartments are going in there. And you think, well... That would have made sense 10 years ago. So many people are working in the city centre. We need to have accommodation for those people. But they're not going to be working in the city centre because those offices are being closed down. And those office buildings are being turned into apartments. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to check the um, phone system. I think there might be something wrong because people are complaining to me that they've been trying to get through and I'm not hearing anything. And there shouldn't be anything fecking wrong because it worked fine for me today, dear listener. So let me double check that. While I do that, I'll take a very quick tune. But before I do that, I'll spin you the jingle again. Yeah, people are trying to get through and they can't. What's wrong with that? People have been trying to WhatsApp me and they can't get through. What's wrong with that? Um, here's the details. The WhatsApp number is on a meme which is on Facebook and on Twitter. Check it out there. It's your call. Skype. Chat with Richie or call 0161 818 2018. If you're calling from overseas, it's plus 44161 818 2018. Talk to Richie now. Mine's alive and kicking on the Richie Allen Show, 24 minutes past six. Little glitch at the moment. I'm sorry about this. It'll be the final time I think this is, has gone wrong. Moved a few things around. I think that might have something to do with it in lieu of um, going on video as well. This program will be available in Vision soon when I, when I get my dental situation sorted out. 
But um, you're screaming at me, some of you, to see you're trying to get through on the number and you can't. I, I don't know why that is at the moment. I can't do anything about it. So I apologise. It isn't the most professional thing in the world, but there isn't anything I can do about it right now. You'll have to bear with me. It's very sophisticated, this gear here. It really is. But um, I, I can't do anything at this late stage. So apologies. But there's plenty to talk about because you've sent me some very interesting messages. In the meantime, a number of you talking about Bill Gates and his, his land, his great big tracts of land. Uh, thank you to Jacob, who says, Richie, it is said that Bill Gates is the largest owner of land in the US. That's a Guardian article. Thank you for sending that April 2021. And not only that, but Andy was on to say, I think Bill Gates has become the largest landowner in the States, beating Ted Turner. Isabel came on to say, I've noticed many years ago, every agenda is like an onion. It, is, it, it always has multiple layers. On getting farmers to sell their land, while it does seem obvious that the goal is to officially reduce the air pollution slash unofficially reduce food supplies for the population reduction agenda, comments on the show today made me realise it goes far deeper. It's a worldwide plan by a small few to take back the land. That, to me, is the scariest part. There's a generation of people now behind us who... If this agenda isn't stopped, they will never know what it is to own their own bit of land or to own their own home, you know? It's funny, depending on where you go in the world, like, you know this, I don't need to tell you this, but in in parts of Europe, France most particularly, it is a curiosity to the French, for example, the Irish obsession with owning land and owning a home. Now, I've, I've tried to explain to French people over the years why this is so... It's a deeply psychological thing with the Irish and being being an occupied nation of people for so long. Not to be not to be very general about this, but I don't have time to get into it. But many a psychoanalyst has attempted to explain the Irish preoccupation with owning land and owning their own homes. Right. But but certainly the occupation of the country for millennia by external forces has something to do with that. But in, in other parts of the world, it isn't so important to people to have their own house, their own home. My better half's mum has rented from the local authority ever since she went out on her own, ever since she got married. And she worked for the government for many years in tax. She wasn't a tax auditor, not in tax, in finance. She had a financial job for central government and never thought to take some of that money and put it aside and buy her own home. Never. Never would occur to them. No, no, you rent and you rent and you rent and you rent. But there is a generation of people, whether they want to rent or not, whether they want to own or not, they'll never know what it's like to own a home. Because it's the Schwab thing, isn't it? You will own nothing and you will be happy. Coco says, keep an eye on Africa, Richie. Keep an eye out for things going off in Africa. I'm seeing something unfolding there. They're not putting up with any nonsense. And then Coco says, Uganda is very steadfast in the belief that LGBTQ will not be reaching their shores. And they've just told Joe Biden to sod off with his dodgy aid packages. But that's not black and white, that. The Uganda issue. I think it's absolutely disgusting that I, I, I think it preposterous, disgusting, terrible, sinister, that's the end of the adjectives, that a government could um, legislate for, for 
for somebody's sexuality. That a government could draft a law saying that homosexuality is punishable by death. That's a basket case country. It's basket case. I mean, really, I mean, surely you don't support that, Coco. Surely you don't support gay people, you know, living under that sort of regime in Uganda. I mean, I'm kind of surprised, to be honest. But hey, as I said earlier on, this is a free speech zone, you know. A lot of Christians do listen to this programme and I admire them. I admire their, I don't know, I admire their sincerely held, I admire the sincerity is what I'm trying to say of their beliefs, but I don't agree with them. I don't believe homosexuality is wrong. I don't believe it's evil. I don't believe there's anything wrong with it. I mean, how dare any state, any government legislate for that? You know, I, I think it's pretty shocking, to be honest. But um, that's just me. Uh, hi to Ms. C. Richie, town planners plan between 10 and 30 years into the future. Therefore, the decisions have already been made. All discussions at this point will simply delay them. At best, at this point, says Ms. C. Hi to Grace Lee, Richie. Would love to get in touch with the programme and would love to be on, but couldn't bear to hear my Norfolk accent on air, says Grace Lee. <laughs> I'm sure the accent would be fine. Hi to John. Hi to John. John, how are you? No, John, everything is working pretty well apart from today. But thanks for your concern, John. I'd love to be in front of John now. Um, but I'm not going to finish that sentence. You can probably guess. Um, I'm interested in this. I shouldn't be interested in it because it's tabloid nonsense, right? But I'm interested in it. You might be following a story, you might not, about a UK television presenter called Philip Schofield. He'll be known to people of a certain age for children's television, or at least Saturday morning television for children. Gordon the Gopher and all of that. Philip Schofield, right? Well, you know that he left ITV last week after admitting lying about an affair that he had with a younger employee, with a young man, right, who's been named all over the place, which makes me laugh, right, because the BBC and some of the newspapers are not naming the younger employee, but everybody knows who this guy is. This is the funny thing about gagging. Now, nobody has put a gagging order on on the BBC to prevent them naming the employee. They're gagging themselves. Anyway, maybe it's a privacy thing. Maybe they're protecting the privacy of this uh, man Schofield had an affair with, you see. So Schofield kind of famously came out as gay a couple of years ago. He'd been married and there were children as far as I understand it. And he came out as being gay and that was that. He presented this programme called This Morning with a woman called Holly Willoughby. It had previously been presented many years ago by Richard and Judy. Jesus, right? And then Eamon Holmes had been involved and his wife and so on, so on, so on, so on. But in the last decade or more, Schofield has been in the hot seat with this woman, Holly Willoughby. Maybe not Willoughby for the entire time. Maybe she was a more recent acquisition. I don't know. But anyhow, he left by mutual consent over this affair, which um, he has described as unwise but not illegal. And it got me thinking about this. And um, it's generally believed within the industry of television that Philip Schofield is not the nicest guy to work with, right? And this is kind of unusual. 
I can tell you this from first-hand experience. Generally, the people who are in front of the camera, they generally do tend to be pretty okay. Uh, the, 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 the staff, or the crew, excuse me, the crew would generally refer to these people as the talent. They would be referred to as the talent, right? I don't know if that's tongue-in-cheek now, but they call them the talent in any case. So it's, it's widely believed that Schofield is a bit of an arsehole, doesn't know people's names, not interested in people, bit pompous, bit diva-esque, blah, 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 blah. So it's maybe the case that he's getting a kicking now because he's rubbed so many people up the wrong way in recent years. But I'm interested in this because this actually plays into a wider discussion that we've had on this programme in the past when you go back to when the Harvey Weinstein stuff came out. Remember that? When Harvey Weinstein when it came out that this huge Hollywood producer produced so many massive blockbuster films had behaved terribly badly towards women who had been in his presence, women who wanted to get into acting, women who already were in acting, women who had been working on his productions. Anyway, he did some pretty nasty things, right? And he's in prison now, Harvey Weinstein. Although he's got a lawyer. I think he shares the same lawyer as Ghislaine Maxwell interestingly enough and there they continue to appeal Harvey Weinstein continues to appeal says he was hard done by so on so on so on so back in the me too thing there was a lot of um, talk we talked about this extensively but you might not remember this this is pre-covid and everything is a blur for for many people everything that happened pre-covid is a blur and anything else after covid just becomes something else after covid right but before then we talked about this because our airwaves, and by airwaves I mean the BBC, I mean ITV, I mean Channel 4, I mean Fox News, I mean CNN, were full of discussions about appropriate behaviour and about toxic masculinity. And people like Jordan Peterson, this uh, psychology guy, he got involved, wrote a book about it, you know, what was appropriate. The claims that men were being emasculated, that, that, that normal male behaviour was being criminalised and that the Harvey Weinstein, not just Weinstein, but there were other stories around at the time, you know, about power dynamics, about how powerful men had abused their position to put pressure on women and in some cases to sexually abuse women. I have no doubt this has gone on over the years. To what extent, I have no idea, but I have no doubt it has gone on. I have no doubt that women worked in jobs over the years with men who put them under pressure. And I have no doubt over the years that some women acquiesced and put up with stuff that women today wouldn't put up with in order to keep a job and to keep food on the table for the kids. I have no doubt that's true. But I felt a few years ago they were using these stories as a way to open a discussion about toxic masculinity and to talk about how men should and shouldn't behave around women. Now, Schofield is gay. And he had an affair with a young girl man, not a woman. But it's the same kind of thing, really. What's acceptable and what isn't acceptable? And is it the business of the parent company, whether or not one of its chief presenters or not? It could be anybody. It could be a director. Whether somebody has an affair with somebody else within the production company, is it the business of the parent company is the question that's up for grabs here. And apparently it is in 2023. But I was speaking to my pal, 
the oft-mentioned Jean-Anne about this this morning on the phone. And I talked about my understanding of this, and particularly Waterford Crystal, which is a very famous, but now largely, I don't know, largely redundant, no pun intended, intended company, a great, great, great Irish success story, but more importantly, a great Waterford success story. Waterford, where I come from, is a beautiful city, an ancient city. It's Ireland's oldest city, and it still has its city walls um, pretty much intact. It is wonderful. It's a great place to visit. Uh, so many attractions in the city and outside the city, in the surrounding rural areas of Waterford. I hope the Waterford Tourism Board is listening. There might be a couple of points of Guinness in it for me. But it is. It's a wonderful place to go. And one of its great success stories is Waterford Crystal which um, was founded by the Penrose Brothers, George and William, in 1783, would you believe? Around about the same time, the Montgolfier Brothers were taking to the skies in the first ever balloon. I didn't look that up, dear listener. I know some shit, you know. I know some proper stuff, like. Anyhow, so the company went on for a few years, then it was dormant for a few years, and then it was active again, and then dormant again. It had its ups and its downs until the 1950s. When a man called Havel, that's his surname, Havel, H-A-V-E-L, a genius from, from, from Hungary, a genius with glass and crystal, an engraver, Mr. Havel came to Waterford to find some guys that were starting up Waterford Crystal again. They were rejigging it in Johnstown in the city. Can't remember exactly what year in the 50s, but out came Mr. Havel and he introduced himself to the to the uh, to the Dacia, to the Waterford people. And he said, lads, I can help you turn this into something amazing. And there began the story, the late 20th century story of Waterford Crystal. It became a phenomenal success. At its peak, I'm going somewhere, don't fall asleep. At its peak, the factory employed three and a half thousand people. In a city like Waterford, this is mega, mega. Think of a steel town like, like Pittsburgh or Pennsylvania. That's what it would have been like. I know Pittsburgh is a city, I know Pennsylvania is a city. That's what it would have been like, right? In terms of the factory, basically, was the city's economy. It was the city's economy. Every business in that city um, was behooven. You couldn't say that. No, 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 no. No, but it, it depended. Waterford Crystal was the lifeblood for those businesses. I don't mean just the feckin' pubs. I mean the haberdasheries, dear listener, the haberdasheries. Everything, right? Three and a half thousand. Here's the thing. There's a point in there, Richie Summer. There is. I worked there for three summers as a tour guide. It was some of the best times I ever had in my life in the early 1990s. I can't say most, but hundreds, maybe even more than a thousand, couples met, met at Waterford Crystal. They met at Waterford Crystal. They met in the place where they worked. And somebody said to somebody, would you like to go out for a drink? Or somebody met somebody at a dinner dance. That's what they used to be called, a dinner dance. So an employee met another employee at a dinner dance and they got together. And um, most of them stayed together. Some of them didn't. They had kids. Some of them didn't. And the rest is history. But nobody would have um, 
tolerated any notion that the company had any stake in that or had any right to police that, you know, to to get involved and to say, well, you know, you're you're not to be you're you're not to be sexually harassing your fellow employees. And that's what happened when this Weinstein it happened before Weinstein. It happened before Weinstein. But after Weinstein we were hearing this all the time. We were hearing things on Channel 4 News and on the BBC that it was completely inappropriate for somebody, male or female, to ask somebody they worked with out for a drink. That that as long as they were working for the same company, this was highly irregular, it shouldn't happen, it was tantamount to sexual harassment. And I called bollocks at the time and said, how many people do you know, dear listener, who would not be together if they had obeyed that, if that had come in 25, 30, 40 years ago, that you could lose your job if you were to be seen in a relationship with somebody you worked with or accused of sexual harassment. And I got into this with somebody and they said, um, well, Richie, you know, it has happened in the past that somebody has turned down somebody in a position of seniority. Now, I admit it, this is a grey area. So the power dynamic, we're back to Philip Schofield. And he might have fancied the uh, pants off of the young man. Maybe he initiated it, maybe he didn't. And if the young man says, no, thanks, Philip, you're a bit old for me. You're not exactly today's bread today, Philip. Would that have meant passive-aggressive treatment by the senior Philip Schofield for the younger man? And would it have impacted on his career? Maybe, maybe not. But I argue, and I did argue during the Weinstein stuff, that, well... You ultimately have got to trust the the human relations departments, don't you? You've ultimately got to trust the process. If somebody comes to you and says, fancy you, would you like to go for a drink? You say no, and that person begins to make life difficult for you because he or she is in a senior position. You've got to put some faith in the process, right? And say, okay, I'm going to report this in confidence to that person's team leader or that person's boss and say listen it really demeans me to be telling you this but I was invited out for a drink romantically by my senior I said no thanks I appreciate that but no not for me and they've begun to behave in a passive aggressive way to me and they've begun to exclude me from meetings um, exclude me from I don't know maybe some of the more amenable tasks, maybe some of the more interesting things to do, to better projects or something like that. Um, can you do something about it? But um, So I'm fascinated by this Schofield thing. You know, this idea that you would have to resign because you told a lie about an affair that you had with a fellow employee. Now, Schofield, of course, you say fellow employee, Schofield's getting six figures, maybe more, the younger man might be getting 30, 40, 50, 60 grand, I have no idea. But they're colleagues, right? It's Schofield is the, 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 the talent. But how many people do you know, have you met through the years, who told you they met where they worked? It's got to be thousands. Thousands. And by the way, Coco came back to say thank you, Coco doesn't agree with the Ugandans, gay people being jailed or whatever. I'm just pointing out some breaking news, says Coco. Thank you. And listen, I wouldn't I wouldn't fall out with you 
if you did agree with uh, the Ugandan government. But, yeah, I know there are a lot of people who do agree with this stuff, you see. And uh, they do, you know. Ian says, the Schofield saga makes me laugh. Talk TV goes on all day about it, that the issue is ITV behaving poorly, hushing it up, etc. Meanwhile, they all ignore the bigger picture issues and salivate over this distraction. It is absurd, says Ian. It is. Of course it's absurd. Of course it's a massive... Of course it's a massive distraction. But it's also interesting because it is shaping people. You see, these stories, these events are used to shape people's mindsets, particularly younger people, that you can behave like this, but you can't behave like that. Wasn't it only a few years ago? And I bet you it's even more recent than a few years ago. Wasn't a young boy arrested in Texas for planting a kiss on the cheek of a girl in the playground? Who remembers Kiss Chase? I played Kiss Chase in St. Saviour's Primary School in Ballybeg in Waterford. Now, there wasn't much chasing of me now, let's be honest about it, right? I was doing most of the chasing. But these were things we did. Young, young lads in a, in, a, in, a, in a co-ed school with girls, you know, you might imagine, you might think about finding a way to look up the skirt of that young girl. I'm talking about eight, nine, ten-year-olds now. Silly stuff, right? There was a kid arrested in Texas for kissing a girl on the cheek. So it is a distraction story while more important things are going on. It's nothing really. Bloke had an affair with a younger bloke in the job. Was he abusing his power? Blah, blah, blah. If he lied about it, blah, blah, blah. But ultimately, these stories are used to shape the mindsets of younger people. And I do believe... And it's just my opinion. It could be argued. We've got to keep saying that. There is an agenda to emasculate young men. To emasculate them. To confuse them. To convince them that their, I would say, pretty normal desires, pre-pubescent and even post-pubescent, pubescent, let's say pre-pubescent, to find out all there is about this strange, beautiful creature in front of them. The female, whether it's the girl you're going to school with who's in your class or whether it's the girl um, living next door to you or across the street. This journey, this voyage of discovery, it's an amazing thing. And they're ruining that for lads. I know they're telling, um, I know, I know they are telling, uh, they are teaching boys in schools about how they should behave around girls. And I know that some of the things they are telling these boys Terrible. Terrible. Unnatural. Don't say this. Don't do that. Don't touch. Don't ask. Don't do anything. Stay away. Wait to be spoken to. But that isn't natural, is it? If that was how it was back when I was in my teens, I would never have went anywhere near a girl. It's uh, exactly 12 minutes to the top of the hour. And I've had a friend of mine working on the system remotely uh, from Hull, my, my desk manufacturers, and they reckon it might all be sorted now and that we might be able to take calls and that we should be sorted once and for all. 
Anywho, it's a bit late now in the day, but anyway. Sandra says, I remember my little girl knocking over some very precious Waterford Crystal vases in a posh shop on holiday once. I was mortified, says Sandra. Thank you, Sandra. Bert says, isn't it weird that both brothers were into young boys? No, Philip Schofield wasn't into young boys, Bert. There is no evidence that Philip Schofield was into young boys. The chap he had an affair with was a man, is a man, a man. His brother being jailed for pedophilia should bear, have no bearing on Philip Schofield's standing in society. That's wrong and unfair. It's lousy. Philip Schofield might be the biggest bastard that ever walked the face of the earth. He's probably not, right? But it's unfair, very unfair, to tar him with the actions of his brother. He's not into young boys. He had an affair with a younger man. There's a major difference there. We've got to, um, we got to be to be to be fair to the bloke. And David says I've met at least three long-term girlfriends through the work we were at. And then he says none were fifteen. Philip Schofield's boyfriend at this morning wasn't fifteen either. And Dan says I'll go one better than that, Richie. I went to prison for giving someone a hug. Says Dan, did you really, Dan? Would you come on the program and talk to me about that? Would you send me a message with some contact details? Sent to prison for giving someone a hug. Get in touch with me. Um, and then Bert came back to say, Schofield met the boy when he was 15. So what if he met the boy when he was 15? He didn't have an affair with the boy until they were working together. And he wasn't a boy, he was a man. Jesus wept. like, Give him a break, you know. Uh, Schofield. Brother. Convicted. Yeah, lock him up, yeah. But don't tar Schofield with that brush because it's patently unfair to do so, okay? In my opinion. You're listening to The Richie Allen Show, broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk, Fab Radio 2 in Manchester, and the TuneIn app. You might have TuneIn. We're on the TuneIn app too. We're everywhere. More comments coming in. I've stirred you. I've stirred you. Let me read some more comments from the website this time. Let's give the website an airing. Keep them coming in through the app. Download the app, by the way. I said this yesterday. If you have a smartphone, download the application for the program. If you have an Apple iPhone, you'll get it at the App Store. You'll get the... uh, If you've got an Android phone, you'll get it through Google Play. And a number of you, including Isabel and Angela, are pointing out he met the boy when the boy was 15. Yes, he did. But that isn't relevant because he didn't become involved with the boy until the boy became a man. So, there you go. Craig says, In any power dynamic, there will, there will be some, regardless of gender or skin colour, political allegiance or religious allegiance, which will inevitably, uh, or sorry, there will be some people who will inevitably uh, use their position to be abusive. If we move into an era where workplace relationships are effectively banned, then the only place people can meet each other will be through the very controlled dating apps. And that is basically corporations moving into the field of relationship management, commonly called arranged relationships. Says Craig, that's a good point. That's right. Patricia says, the great majority of people do not give a shite about the personal life of others. This entire issue of gay slash trans only started to become an issue when the outspoken and unpleasant uh, members of these groups were, were forcing their ideologies on children who are not mature enough to make decisions about their lives, says Patricia. Thank you, Patricia. Thank you very much. Uh, 
And Diane says, not just in Ireland, it's happening in Wales. Uh, I'm sure Scotland will be the same too. Is that the common agricultural policy? It can't be that issue. It can't pertain to uh, Scotland and Wales. Let me bring that up. Uh, Oh, yeah. Yeah, the rewilding. Thank you. Yes. Yes, Diane, it is happening um, regardless. Yeah. uh, Dan has come back. Dan, send me um, some details, will you? And I'll get back on to you. Please. Thank you. And Chris says there certainly is one huge pile of dirty linen being washed in public on GB News, Rhys Schofield, Eamon Holmes and the journalist otherwise known as Dan Wooten. Yes, I've been watching that with some amusement myself. Nobody. Most people I know, most people I know, including a great friend of mine whose name is Marty, an old, I should say an old friend, who met his missus when he was working at a fast food chain. That's how it happened. But they're, they're going after that. Taking ownership, as was implied in the comments, as was implied by, by, by Craig, taking ownership of the space. Taking ownership of the space. Setting the parameters of the space or the spaces where humans can interact and be like humans. You know, people like Harvey Weinstein are in the minority. And people like him, the vast majority of people who, when turned down, by a member of the opposite sex. You know what they did? They went, all right, fair enough. I hope you don't mind me asking. You know, no problem. We'll be friends. Yeah, of course we will. We work together. Of course we'll be friends. And you might be a bit embarrassed. You might be a bit depressed. You know, it's happened to every one of us. Every single one of us has asked somebody out and has been turned down. Every one of us. It's not nice, is it? But um, it's happened to all of us. But uh, yeah, they're taking control of the space. So they are. Sarah's been on. Hi, Sarah. Could the boy have been groomed from the age of 15? I don't know, Sarah. There doesn't appear to be any evidence of that. I mean, if there is evidence of it and it emerges, we'll talk about it on the programme. I'm not defending Philip Schofield here. I'm playing devil's advocate. Give, give him the benefit of the doubt, you know. Did he fancy the boy when the boy was 15 when he met him? Only Philip Schofield can answer that. Only Philip Schofield can answer that. I don't know. You know, I do not know. It's um, it's an interesting one. I remember working at uh, WLRFM radio station in Waterford. And because I was the talk producer, I was the guy landed with the work experience students. Always. Richie, we've got this person on work experience for a week. They're going to be with you, Richie. And more often than not, it was young girls, 15, 16. What did I do? I was very aware back then, very aware of the pitfalls, of the potential for somebody to make a a complaint or to make an allegation. So I made sure, I made doubly and trebly sure that I could never be alone with any, any of these work experience kids, whether it was a girl or a boy, made damn sure of it. Said it to my bosses, we will never, we will always be in a communal area when we are working, when they are listening to me, when they are gleaning information from me about how to produce radio. We will never, ever be alone. Ever. Terrible, really, when you think back that, you know, you had to be like that. But that, even back then, you had to be aware of stuff like that. Only Schofield knows inside his own heart what sort of a bloke he is. But firing him, or his resignation over having an affair 
with an adult male who worked on that team, that throws up an interesting conversation about how society is being shaped and how men are being encouraged to think, particularly young men, about what they can and can't do. I find it interesting anyway. Thanks for staying with me. Appreciate your company today. That's it for Wednesday's Richie Allen Show. Back with you tomorrow, Thursday, at 5 o'clock UK time. I can't wait for that. Until then, look after yourselves and one another. And I'll close out with Rod Stewart, strangely enough. Speaking of Scotland. See you tomorrow. Bye.